Hello, any trenders. It's James. I'm hosting today. I've killed Medi and assumed his form. Uh, welcome to the Anime Trending Podcast. As I just mentioned like five seconds ago, I am James. I am your host for tonight, and I am joined by two equally lovely guests. We have Gracie. Hi, everyone. Back and back and forth switching between Girl Taku and this podcast. And Nick. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm a regular, but if James eats me, just like he did with the others, I might not be so lucky. <laughs> I need a certain... There's There needs to be a, at least, like, three of us to do the podcast, Nick. You're safe for now. Okay, I'm safe. Okay, so no one else, no one else apply to help us with this. <laughs> anyway, so today's topic... Actually, first, um, I want to do the chart check. I need to do the chart check. So let's do the chart check. Ch -ch -ch chart check. I copied Medi from last week. Goodness. It's, it's, it's he's the, inside you now. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Also, the ch noise is super satisfying. Ka-chow. Ka-chow. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about, let's talk about our, uh, we're getting towards the end of the season. And this chart, uh, this week's chart is a little bit weird because of Wonder Egg Priorities recap episode. It was not on the chart last week, if I remember correctly. Um, so it, it gets a re-entry, and it's re-entering it first place again, which, fantastic. I love it. You love to see it. Wonder Egg Priority continues to be good. Um, and then at second place uh, is ReZero, uh, Season 2, Part 2. I think that's now two weeks at second place. Uh, third place is Jobless Reincarnation. It's down two slots. Uh, fourth place is the topic of today's podcast, which is Attack on Titan, final season. Uh, which, it's it's falling. Uh, that Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, season two, part one, is up two spots and is at fifth place now. Horimiya is down a spot at sixth place. Bottom tier character Tomozaki has dropped three spots since last week and is now at seventh place. The quintessential quintuplets, I'm just going to say season two, uh, is at eighth place now, which is up one from last week. Dr. Stone's Stone Wars is at ninth place, which is up a spot from last week. And then Kemono Jihen is at tenth place, which is down two spots from last week. And just... Real quick, as an honorable mention, because it's clinging there just on the edge of the top ten. The Promised Neverland has been <laughs> at 11th place, I think, for two two weeks now. Oh, weeks in a row. So, oh boy, he's trying. But anyway, what do you two think of the charts this week? Anything particularly surprising or unpleasant? So, I think my first thought, I am very excited to see Wonder Egg Priority at number one. I think I am also speaking for Gracie that we're. I'm very surprised yeah. that this particular episode got yes, to number yes. one. That I'm like, <laughs> like so. The spoiler, like we've recorded this episode right when episode ten came out, and we had a lot of thoughts about episode nine. Mm -hmm. Enough that I want to really compile it into a whole thing because there was kind of some signs that I'm like, oh my god, is this show going to derail from? This one episode is going to be the signifier because this is the episode coming out of the the recap. Because there's always an anime that unfortunately it just jumps the shark on an episode and it never recovers, and we were fearful that this was the episode. So, luckily this week, 
it has it, and I'm very excited for episode oh, 10 yeah. just coming out of that. And so I'm just like, I am hoping it sticks the landing. This is gonna is a great, great experience so far for Wonder Egg. Yeah, if it sticks the landing, it'll probably be one of our top anime like overall it'll it'll sneak into that like when people say what are your favorite shows that'll that'll be one of them if it's yeah no i already said like to my friends well i mean you guys are my friends but my other friends who are not otakus um i told them you have other friends (laughs) james Uh, but I told them that essentially if Wonder Egg Priority really manages to stick the landing, it will officially enter my top five anime of all time, which is insane because those haven't really budged ever. And so, and I never really got to a top five because what, what I'll do is I'll pick favorites within each genre and like there's only those few I give the crown to where I'm just like, oh, these are my top tops. And I'm like, if Wonder Egg Priority really nails it at the end, it will be one of my top tops. So <laughs> It's so funny, like our actual relation with Wonder Egg Priority, like on this show, because we, we wanted to do a podcast on um, Wonder Egg like since the show came out and so we were originally planning on having it around like that episode six cut off and then we're thinking okay maybe if the show when the show finishes we're gonna like have a full like this is what's great about this show that and a winter storm swept through and i lost power that too yeah that's also (laughs) yeah you can blame the weather for the wonder egg priority episode uh, our wonder egg priority episode delay Mm mm-hmm but then it was the point where we were like, okay, let's just wait till the end. And then, like, after episode nine, we were having thoughts of, like, oh, no, I don't know if this is going to be good anymore. <laughs> so, hopefully we see everybody on a future Wonder Egg podcast in the next couple of weeks once it's all out. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on something that isn't Wonder Egg priority? There's no. nine other shows in the top ten. Uh, I, uh, um, my thoughts was... Uh, I actually thought ReZero was going to be number one because it was a very, very electrifying episode in the week, but um, Wonder Egg clearly has a very devoted fan base that overtakes ReZero's. So that was my surprise. And then I wasn't really surprised Jobless went down because it's sort of in execution slash setup mode now where there's like a lot of a lot more world building and dialogue that's sort of explaining things rather than anything that's happening so i wasn't too surprised about that yeah yeah i can't really speak much for that but like i think maybe we're trying to we want to explain like why why is attack on titan at this point because i feel like arguably it's at the most hype in the series and it's just the show keeps getting hyper every episode but i also find myself curling into a fetal position by the time it's over like it's 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 making me feel and most of it is like not good emotions because of how painful it's been getting um i don't know if that also is explaining like part of the popularity drop or if it's just gonna wait until like it's all finished as a show Mm -hmm. so excellent segue there nick so today's topic is attack on titan and since it's the the final season uh i figured i would play kind of this is an interviewer and interviewees thing because uh, i have not watched attack on titan like any of it i think i watched the first episode of the first season and i've read the first five volumes of the manga which compared to how much content there is is basically none of it (laughs) Um, oh boy (laughs) yeah so but 
because I communicate frequently with Nick and Gracie and the rest of the anime trending staff, even while I'm not on the podcast, I hear a lot about Attack on Titan. And so I figured this would be the ideal time to ask them about the show. And so for those of you that are like me and haven't watched it, this could be a fun way to maybe get you into it. If for some reason the hype of the last, what, five years or something like that, six years, seven years, when did season one come out? Like uh, two, 2013. I, I was in high school. 2013. When it came out. Yeah. I think 2013. Was, yeah. So seven, seven, eight years. Um, or for those of you that uh, have been keeping up, if you just want to hear some people rant and rave about how much they love it and how much it hurts them. Because that's mostly what we've been getting. But anyway. Um, yeah, how's the how's the season been so far? I know you kind of mentioned it in the chart check. But this is the final season. Is it going to be actually the final season? Are they get... The, the manga's finished, right? No, there's one more month. So April will be the last chapter. Okay, so it's set to be finished, though. There's a, there's a definite yes, end date. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so for now, like, if you are an anime only... Obviously, at this point, if you're in the you're in the fan base long enough, you know not to Google Attack on Titan anything. I would just stay away from any online forum that has to do with anything with Attack on Titan from now until the, the show finishes its animation. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of finishing the animation... This is called, it's called the final season. Are they actually going to be able to get to the end, do you think? No, no way. Not even close. <laughs> I honestly, there's been rumors. So once again, take this with a grain of salt, but there's been rumors that there's likely going to be a final Attack on Titan movie to seal up the series because I read the manga and at where where the anime is right now versus where the manga is and like how much I've read, it's not going to finish this season. Like it's just not going to reach that ending at all. So. <laughs> and I think you can even, you can even calculate that just by um, just number of chapters versus number of episodes. I think right now. It... All right. You think they're going to do like a, a demon slayer, just put a movie at the end. I hope not in the sake of just hoping i get through the series like sometime this century this century um, <laughs> i i would be kind of shocked if they go the movie because even at that point i'm not i'm not caught up with the the manga itself i'm i've been an anime only forever but i i don't know if they have enough material to like just do like a two and a half hour movie like would they have to do like a multi-parter because if you remember when like other examples when Face Night or Kizumonogatari like were getting animated where they split up into like multiple movies. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I could deal with like another two years of just not knowing. Oh yeah, yeah, because uh, Heaven's Feel was like what three movies over two and a half years or something like that. Yeah, and I still haven't even been able to watch the third one because I didn't really get enough of an opportunity um, to watch it in the U.S. due to COVID. Like you had one opportunity to like risk yourself to get it, and, watch and it I took that opportunity. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Wait for my Heaven's Feel Part 3 review, which I promised Quack that I would write, and it's been three months and I haven't written it yet. Um, you'll, you'll get the review when the Blu-ray gets announced, don't worry. Uh, anyway, so, is it possible for you to maybe bring me up to speed a little bit on Attack on Titan? Because what I remember of Attack on Titan is I was in high school, and Attack on Titan came out, and everybody was so excited, and... 
the song was playing, the opening theme song was playing everywhere, and there were memes with the opening theme song, and Hot Topic was selling Scout Core hoodies that every every blatant anime fan at my high school would buy and wear to school, and part of me, but this was before I truly embraced anime, I was like, oh, cringe. Uh, now I am cringe. <laughs> so, uh, so it's all fine. But that's that's what I remember I remember it as like a basically ba- like a kaiju kind of thing where it's oh there's big people and you're fighting the big people is it still small people fighting big people Nick I think I will yeah. start okay uh let's see who <laughs> okay I'm I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it okay so from the beginning of the show you're given the idea that humanity is just limited to the people within the walls and they're fighting the titan the nameless kaiju-like enemies although as the series goes on you've realized okay there's factions that also transform into kaiju and can control them um and at this point the main cast's goal was we've got to kill all the kaiju in, in order to just free ourselves and then all of humanity will be free only to discover that they are not the only humans left in this world. There's an entire industrialized world out there. Um, if you were to make it, like, think of it, like, in terms of eras, it's like the people in the walls have had, like, early 19th century, like, late late 19th century to early 20th century weapons and ammunition. They still use horses, whereas outside world is purely industrialized, and it often takes, like, a World War II style of... Um, technology so not only are they isolated there's very big reasons why they've been isolated from the rest of the world meaning the whole world is scared of them because they can transform into the people the eldians can transform into titans and many many thousands of years ago up until that point the eldians were the scourge on the world like using their titan powers in order to kill lots and lots of people of these other industrialized nations oh, now. That, or that's all that we know of now. All we yeah. know, yeah. I don't know. This is my, my anime only of, like, this is our state of mind. So we knew titans were faceless people, but now all of the atrocities that were committed on the main cast from the beginning was done by and organized by humans that wanted to basically conquer them on that island that they lived on so now the the whole drive that was driving like aaron mikasa armin was they wanted to try to see if they can get humanity to the ocean free themselves of the titans only to find there's another world out there that also wants them dead so now the solution is well we got this far by just driving to kill all the titans are we truly going to be free now or do we still have to kill the rest of the world because the whole world wants them dead and that's kind of the conclusion i think aaron makes towards the end of season three which leads into this final season where you have a lot of world politics conflicting with this island nation's survival that did i miss anything nope you got it (laughs) that's pretty heavy I tried, I, uh, I like, 40 minutes before we started recording, I was like, you know what, I'll bring myself up to speed, I'll read the synopses for the, oh, uh, for the seasons, long... and then I was like, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that's too much, I can't, not enough time, but yeah, dang, dang that's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> I, I think, so, just judging from that, it, I, I, my, my 
paltry understanding of story writing uh thanks high school english class and my freshman english teacher who i hated uh was like some like us versus them and the them keeps changing i feel like there's surely something like it's got some themes or something to it are i i know i know there's i i know that you wanted to talk to me about character themes and a couple other things and i had this brilliant segue planned <laughs> out and i've completely forgotten it so why don't we talk about character themes so basically it's it's as you uh it's as you said like the them, the us versus them but the them keeps changing sort of thing at this point the world has revealed itself to be so much more complex than how it originally was set up to be or at least it was set up for the audience to believe because before it was literally just humanity versus actual man-eating monsters. But then as the story continues, it becomes, oh, humanity versus the government within their own world. And then it became, oh, shoot, um, no, it's humanity versus titans that were actually humans this whole time. But now that we're thinking about where these humans come from and then it, and then it just transforms into that whole, like, wait a minute, it's literally us against other, it's humanity versus humanity. It's not even, it's not even a, um, another, like, another monster, another thing anymore. But it's interesting because there is an, there is a clear parallel between this last season and the first season. If you can't already tell from the posters, um, in the first season, the poster, you see Aaron staring up at the walls, and we have a titan essentially looming its head over it, essentially threatening his home and his world. But then in this season, it's actually Reiner who has his head up, looking up, and Aaron's titan form destroying the roof of a civilian home. And it's perfect mirrors of each other, basically showing in a way that everyone's an enemy of some sort. And it kind of reminds me of what Kenny said in season three, where he says everyone is, is a slave to something and that freedom and independence isn't actually attainable. And so, um, and so, yeah. Well, that, well, that's grim. <laughs> it, it really is grim when you consider that most of the characters' decisions are made because they feel like they have no other choice. Because at this point, Aaron is on a murderous rampage towards the nation of Marley, who's essentially the big nation behind the whole attack on his yeah. home. It was the guy, the people who had trained Reiner and his group of people, uh, Bertolt, Annie, and I forgot the, the fourth guy, but the point is that nation basically orchestrated it that culminated in the death of Aaron's mother at the beginning. So because of that, that's kind of the drive towards him to essentially commit mass atrocities to the Marlene nation. Um, they have some examples in the show where Armin, using his newly found colossal titan power, realizes that he could just use his transformation like a nuclear bomb, which ends up wiping out lots of people in the process in order to achieve the military tactic of just striking right at the heart of that nation. And a lot of innocent people die. And the thing is, is like the season is framed not even from Aaron's perspective, but from people, new characters living within the nation of Marley itself. Um, I think that's kind of one of the things that we're going to go into because now you have a thing of like, okay, who started it? Because Reiner did this to them 
because he was goaded on for thousands, like because of the the big lie of thousands of years of believing that they were the devils that we had to do this to them. So at this point now, Reiner has to question: Okay, why did he have to do um, the initial horrible atrocity in the first place? And now Aaron is getting his revenge from the original atrocity by becoming almost no better than like what the original um, the original issue was. So you, you end up seeing a huge cycle um, of violence perpetuated by multiple groups at once. Like they did it to them, so they're going to do it to the, because of this, and it it never ends. And so there's a huge um, cyclical conflict. I do want to point out button. though at this point Aaron is no longer seeking revenge if like, because his conversation with Reiner makes that very clear cuz Reiner absolutely thinks Aaron is here to destroy Marley or uh for revenge and stuff and in a way Reiner doesn't even blame him because Reiner saw firsthand how wrong the propaganda was in Marley that everything they told them was false but Aaron surprisingly was just like when he when Reiner asked him like are you here for revenge to you know keep your promise and stuff like that Aaron was just like oh oh yeah I did say that didn't I actually forget it all and so it's so what makes it even heavier in Aaron's case is that he isn't even doing this out of his hot-headedness that he's so famous for in the first season the second season He's actually doing this because he feels like there's no other choice. And that just turns the dial, like, that's not the right phrase. But basically, that just changes the perception of the story so much more. Because it, you can easily vilify someone for, uh, for doing something out of hatred or revenge. Because that's what stories tend to do. Because hatred is bad. Revenge is consuming. It makes you do things that, you know, you shouldn't do. But he's not tainted by that anymore. If anything, he's tainted by some sort of obligation and despair on there's no no other choice that he could see. And so now it's like, so he's not really the villain, but he's not really a hero. He's not Yeah, he's not really a hero either. And it's like, but then no one here is really the hero except Falco, who is a cinnamon roll and a little boy, and I absolutely will will protect him with my life. (laughs) So, when do you expect him to die then? Because clearly this is a show where nothing happy is allowed to happen. It's true. I mean, the thing is, looking at Aaron, the fire in his eyes has faded. If you look at season one, Aaron, and season end of season three and now season four Aaron it's like three different characters of somebody who's just completely faded and is coldly calculated with everything with this movie like it's 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 hard to watch it because you kind of see like the shonen protagonist kind of flipped over like on his head like throughout the entire series going forward until this point is like he's just he's just become either the ultimate protagonist or like also the villain at the same time it's the it's the joke of you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. But that's the thing is I don't even think like I don't think some people would argue he's lived long enough to become the villain in a lot of people's eyes. And I mean this is what makes it fun, right? Part of the part of the fun is seeing the fandom discuss and the discourse that happens between them. And amongst the unproblematic part of the fandom, um, I've seen a lot of back and forth with a lot of people being like, honestly, like if I was living in that era, I would be on Aaron's side because if the whole world is against us and basically seems to show no signs 
of ever being on our side because they're an easy target and an easy way to distract from other political problems that could arise if they disappeared and stuff like that. It was like, yeah, I would be on Aaron's side. Like, let's just get rid of everyone so it's just safer that way. And other people pointed out, like, you know, um, especially when you have families and stuff, like someone was like, you know, I can imagine myself when I was a teenager being more idealistic to be like, oh, what Aaron's doing is wrong, but he's like, I have a kid now, and honestly, I would do everything I can to protect this kid, and if it's like, there's no way I can protect this kid except to do what Aaron is saying to do, which is just destroy everyone else, honestly, yeah, and so... (laughs) And that that is a good point, because it gives, like, the world reason to fear Aaron, and also, like, vice versa, because if they both... We don't know whether or not, like, how serious both sides are at totally annihilating each other and i think that's kind of like mm-hmm. the key stroke for for Aaron, what essentially is aaron's master stroke it's striking at the heart of marley is to show we mean business stay out of our like stay away from our nation and also it's the threat of the rumbling which is the other major part that i think the world has a lot of very valid reasons to fear um so the quick thing james the rumbling Mm -hmm. Aaron can control Titans because he has the founding Titan inside of him. Okay, so he's he's got a magic MacGuffin that lets him. He has he has the magic thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs to have a a Titan of royal blood, which he doesn't have, but uh, Zeke does have the royal blood. The walls are made entirely out of colossal Titans, not just regular Titans, but like actual colossal Titans that um, the ancient King Fritz had built up as the ultimate uh armageddon threat of like don't mess with this nation that i created or i'll destroy the whole world so if if he's able to command it he could send all the walled titans in every direction from the island where they will just trample the entire world and even with their current technology the world has no way to actually deal with that because how do you deal with like fifty thousand of these colossal titans running at you with like even just world war ii weaponry um yeah yeah because it's like because once again we've seen how much damage the colossal title can do on its own like like i don't think like james you haven't seen the anime but like that episode where armin uses it it's insane the visual of seeing how powerful it is so it's like one is already this now imagine hundreds more of it it's just like yeah there's no way (laughs) so 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 imagine you're you're comfortably at home and you heard that australia was threatening to destroy everybody and you don't know whether or not they could do this that's the part where like this main conflict is kind of going where you don't know if he's actually going to follow through on the threat to actually destroy the world or at least demonstrate to the world don't mess with us or we'll or we'll do this um so it is kind of like a giant game prisoner's dilemma of armageddon where you don't know if the world's gonna follow through on attacking or if they're not mm-hmm. ultimately though um when reiner and aaron are having their one conversation the world decided at that moment to unite and to declare war on the island preemptively so at that point it kind of seals the fate of like world conflict is going to be inevitable at that point which is such a huge tragedy because you don't know like at that moment i think aaron's state of mind um could have gone either way he there was a moment where he was willing to make amends with reiner for killing his own mother 
And I think when that switch got flipped where you realize, oh, there's no way to avoid this world conflict, it, that's, that's when all of the atrocities are going to have to start. Yeah, no, Aaron was essentially waiting for them to declare their own fate and being like, just sitting in the shadows and being like, okay, guys, whether you guys want me to do this or not is completely up to you sort of thing. Um, that, that, I love that scene. I like, even when I read the manga, I love that scene between him and Reiner because in a way they're kind of reflections of each other. But um, at this point in time, Aaron no longer feels feels any sort of anger or like negative emotions towards Reiner if anything he feels sympathy and empathy for for why uh, Reiner chose to do what he did and so um yeah it's complicated it's complicated but unfortunately this complication has resulted in some unsavory people within the fandom yeah you <laughs> so. mentioned you mentioned earlier that you know discussion among the unproblematic part of the fan base which immediately implies that there's a problematic part of the fan base yeah so okay so there's two the first one which is part of the reason why i think attack on titan is also falling on the charts is there's an intense group of fan base members who worship the manga to the point that if the anime does not adapt the manga panel by panel it's failing and I, I saw it firsthand, not only on Twitter, from actual fans who are harassing production people and animators for, like, not doing this scene correctly, which was absolutely ridiculous. And, by the way, also got reprimanded by a huge, like, the big anime influencers, like, uh, like J the Anime Man and Gigak, who are saying, like, you guys are being completely ridiculous to do this to the production team. Um, but even on our page, when I would post something uh, about Attack on Titan and stuff like that, it's not filled with comments like my other posts are where they discuss about the anime or they discuss about what they think is going to happen. It's actually a lot of just commenters complaining about how the panel was done better and stuff like that. And it's, it, yeah, it, it's like, so that's one part of the problematic fandom. I, I have to say that, people that want straight one-to-one -one adaptations will exist in every adaptation as as much as it pains me to admit it and also for those of you listening i'm sure i hope you don't need to be told this but don't harass people online especially like animators they don't make the decisions they just do what they're told anyway oh uh nick i thought you wanted to say something <laughs> I, I don't have anything to say i mean like i honestly don't know what the people who are harassing them like actually are seeing to be honest because i think the animation's on the same like level as it's been like especially with the action sequences like yeah they changed studio for the last season didn't they yeah they they changed they were always animated by studio wit for the last three seasons and so now it's been mappa who's been um doing other productions that you know like with god of high school or with uh, jujitsu kaisen is also the other big one that they've been on so you kind of i don't know if that's specifically the same animation team per se but like typically like i i usually follow it based on like what studio is doing it um so it, it's still on it's, par it's just maybe if like people are just allergic to seeing cg of any kind is like when they're just like oh god get that off of my not screen even, it's not even cg so the scene i posted was uh, on facebook was when aaron was putting his jacket on because i i have no life and we don't need to discuss further on why i posted that but it was um, the first post we all know it <laughs> um but essentially i posted that scene and that's not really cg that's like just basic animation 
And the amount of people on Facebook complaining about it, they're like, oh, like, look at how much more beautiful the manga panel is, and, and look at how much better this is, and stuff like that. And they were like, and there was hardly any comments about what happened during the episode or, you know, what, like, this particular scene means or anything like that. It was just all complaints. And I'm like, honestly, that's for the people who keep wondering why Attack on Titan is, like, struggling. I'm like, that might be a reason is that, uh, sadly, it's a larger than average chunk of the fandom are just huge manga worshippers that even the slightest difference, like, a sunlight was beaming down while Aaron bends his back to put on his jacket is enough to make a storm about and complain throughout the whole week. And so <laughs> I just I just don't get it. And I don't get people who feel like this piece of work belongs to them because I'm sorry, it doesn't belong to you. So, <laughs> um, so that's like... Harsh oh, words yeah. from Gracie. My, my one thought was like, maybe it's because I've relived that scene so many times in my own dreams. It, it, it looks a lot more vivid in my dreams, but that's just because <laughs> it's more full sensory than just my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's like the first uh, problematic uh, group. But the second problematic group, and arguably maybe the more concerning one, is that Attack on Titan does have a significant amount of neo-Nazis slash white supremacists who follow it and worship it and think this anime speaks to them, which, Nick, I know you've been baffled by, and I've been equally baffled by as well, considering, I mean, James, you probably agree just based on what you've heard from the outline. This seems to be a pretty big PSA about how war and War, war bad. Don't hate yeah, people it, just because they're different than you break yeah, like, then they'll yeah. kill you <laughs> yeah like it sounds like it's about as big of a P psa as possible but it took um a video that was made by just right which is a youtube channel to fully explain everything to make me like finally click as to why there's such a huge following so there's two parts to it the first part is Eldians are very heavily referenced as jewish people during world war ii they live in actual camps in marley they have bands on their arms and it's just the the symbolism in the uh, allegory is just too clear to ignore and the issue that comes from that of course is that only Eldians can actually turn into monsters so with that knowledge, um, it's easy to see how that feeds into a lot of neo-Nazi idealism. On top of that, um, there is the history that we know of so far is that Eldians actually were really bad people who were um, who were killing all these different countries, who were like you know who were using their titans to essentially take advantage of everything. And considering that LDNs are of Jewish people, you can see why that feeds right into neo-Nazi <laughs> neo idealism. Yeah, that sounds very much like talking points that have no basis in reality, but have surprising staying power. Yeah, it's, yes. it's one of those unfortunate, like, I don't know if I would call it like a caricature, but it's kind of like, because the imagery used in the show is really shocking. It in no way is like, oh, Marley is justified in doing what they do. Did. it's it's kind of just presenting it in a neutral way but even like i think the neutral presentation gives it like a platform i would say unfortunately yeah there's mm -hmm. there's been i've been i've been watching a couple things about how 
because uh, you know satire and stuff like that. Like there's a co- the the comedy aspect of it where if you're referencing something through comedy, you know when is it? It's just a joke, and when is it actually like hurtful and and unintentional or not unintentional, but like you know not doing the job that it was perhaps intended to do, and the fact that creators cannot control necessarily how the people that consume their media will interpret messages, and so it's always a delicate line to walk when you're working with that kind of subject matter. And, it and is... I do... Sorry, go on, James. Oh, I no, you, you can go. Okay, so what I was saying is I do think that in this case it was an unfortunate but also very dangerous al- uh, or, like, s- simile slash, like, tie-in to what happened to the Jewish people in World War Two, because um, I will say, though, Isayama-sensei, with all due respect, probably doesn't probably isn't the best person to write something related to what uh to the holocaust and the reason for that is sort of twofold one is um and i one is from personal experience which is my parents are from china they immigrated from china and china during world war ii was technically germany's enemy because they were fighting the japanese and even being the enemy of germany during that time they didn't have the full extent slash knowledge of exactly what happened during the Holocaust, like how terrible it was. Oh, that no, that, that... Infor- that information's been poorly distributed. That's the reason why Holocaust deniers even exist. Yeah, so they didn't even realize the full extent until they literally immigrated to the U.S., which is when they were already in their 20s and very much in full adulthood, which, you know, for us, we've been learning since we were kids. And so, so that's the first thing is... Being from an Asian country, probably you don't have the biggest knowledge in regards to how terrifyingly horrible it was. Um, But then the second thing is something we have to keep in mind, and not saying Isayama-sensei is a sympathizer, by the way, at all, but something to keep in mind is that Japan was Germany's ally. And to this day, even, we have many stories of Nazis being portrayed not in the worst light. They are very handsome. They have a lot of charisma. They have personalities, even if they're villains, that make you just make them just more likable because of that personality and stuff. And it was because of their alliance during World War II that sort of complicates things, which also feeds well into the whole perspective theme of Attack on Titan, if now that I'm talking about it. So <laughs> so, so putting geopolitics and... Oh, yeah, Nick, you oh, just typed God. in the chat. No, I just... Drifters. No, that was so bad. That, that was so bad. This is, like, another <laughs> example of things where I'm like, oh, God, why why did they have to, like, bring up this imagery is uh, a little show called Drifters, where it's basically fate meets Helsing in an alternate world, but somehow... So the bad guys are led by Jesus, and the good guy... <laughs> Their organization was founded by Hitler, but they don't say it. Yeah. They just show a really, like, poorly drawn portrait of Bare, it. Yeah, like a bad portrait. Bad, but undeniable I, that you're like, oh, God, why? Like, and that's one of those other, like, like, why do you have to use this imagery? You know, it's... Yeah, it's I like, mean, well, oh, speaking God. of Helsing, you you and I, Nick, you and I watched Helsing Ultimate together. And, yes, it was, the the plot was literal, like... A secret Argentinian vampire Nazis, but mm. at the same time, it's it's a, such a kooky cast of characters 
you can't help but find you know find them amusing or whatever and yep. those those blind spots in history education are i mean they're kind of inevitable when it's a culture that's not one that you grew up in there are like cuz we can we can talk as much as we like just probably not during this podcast about you know the lack of knowledge of the atrocities of world war 2 in the european right. theater in you know east asian and southeast asian education but at the same time it's not like the americans are doing a better job you know with their history education so right right every and, every country has its flaws with how they teach history which is also the case <laughs> the theme of attack on titan but that's yeah, why that's the important. whole yeah no it is it's funny because it all feeds into the theme which is why ultimately i i i do not think uh the mangaka was going for this at all yeah. But um, but that being said, it unfortunately feeds right into a lot of these neo-Nazi idealisms or ideologies that it's gathered a huge following from the from these people, and it's been it's been pretty scary in all honesty. So <laughs> it's an unfortunate and unforeseen uh, consequence. Yeah, unfortunate and unforeseen result of the subject matter. I think we'll, yeah, we'll, no, we'll I, just I would, kind of call it that and and put that to bed. Yeah, I would. Uh, love to. Join us, join us for our special history episode, hosted by <laughs> me again. Uh, that will never happen because you don't give us money on Patreon yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. I, I still like. I I would love to talk about the Catboy from Helsing just to be like, why did you gotta do this? <laughs> like, you... <laughs> stupid, sexy Nazi Catboy. Yeah, and I'm like, oh god, this like. <laughs> like what was going on with the creator's mind at that moment but anyway moving on to something else how about back to attack on titan <laughs> okay let's see. okay reset palette reset palette reset everybody eat some ginger we have been um, talking about the cycles maybe we could cycles well mm-hmm. y- you mentioned uh in the notes for the outline uh gabi and friends mm-hmm. so Nick, you you did a very good thing by writing notes that are just good enough for you to be able to remember what to talk about and just vague enough for me to have no idea what the heck they're talking about. Yeah, okay. So I'd like to talk about the thing that has pained me every episode of like I think I, I vaguely suggested at the beginning of like, oh, maybe it doesn't feel as good watching Attack on Titan season four because every week I think has given me more despair as the weeks go on. And it is quite nihilistic, in all honesty. <laughs> Ooh, sounds I like think a show for me. The worst part is it constantly twists the knife in me, like every week, reminding me of the horrid thing that had happened weeks before. So you're gonna have your worldview shattered, but the beloved potato girl Sasha was killed by none other than Devil Gabby. Who? <laughs> oh no! Devil Gabby. Who is actually so? Like they frame it so Gabby is one of the i would call her a protagonist of season four because we don't immediately start with aaron's perspective it's gabby and falco and all of the other marlane candidates they are eldian but they are captives of marley they're essentially going to be trained to be the next generation of the titans like to inherit like reiner's titan power yeah marley just uses children as weapons that's another oh boy yeah, another, another war issue. crime yeah. so this whole time you're like okay gabby has pretty much the most parallels to season one Aaron. She's very angry about the state of the world of what the Eldians had done. 
Um, to the point that the result of Aaron's attack on her home essentially kills, like, a lot of people she knew. Um, and what's the crazy part is that during the whole fight, uh, Sasha ends up killing two guards that you had been following, like, basically throughout those episodes of the Slice of Life kind of style of build-up before this major Declaration of War episode. So, Sasha ends up killing the guards... Gabby ends up somehow being able to infiltrate their ship as they're trying to escape. And just when you think that Aaron has struck a mighty blow to Marley, they end up killing the beloved potato girl. And I'm still upset about this because Gabby ends up killing her like right there at that point where you had so many fans, I think, that were like really, really for Gabby. Like, wow, she's great. She's like so exciting. And then she ends up killing basically like the fan base is unanimously like favorite character and then the entire <laughs> fan base just split like half of the half of the group wants her dead half of the other group is like um defending her to the death and Excellent. i think the funniest thing was there was one board that was um on reddit like art that's called r slash cult of gabby that <laughs> the day the episode came out because they were all manga readers they're like guys this day has come. We know it's, it's. We know it's happening. We have to stand together. <laughs> oh my gosh! Because the entire fan base is going to just destroy her, and we have to protect. <laughs> I think it's really cool funny. that they have that perspective shift. Um, I I always find it refreshing, especially in long running shows, which Attack on Titan now qualifies as a long running show with four seasons. As far as modern anime is concerned, Four Seasons is an eternity. So. Yeah, and you have from the most recent episode. So, like, you have essentially the most devastating episode for me. And then the next episode, they're, they have to basically process, like, the death that we had just witnessed. And so, on top of that, you, they, they posthumously gave Sasha a love interest. And also devastated the love interest. They show the father. The father's, like, super devastated. And... They go back and they reintroduce characters that Sasha had saved in the second season. Oh, nice. They remember she, characters. Excellent. Because at this point, the, 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 the greatest irony is at this point, Gabby and Falco end up escaping their prison. So now they're basically host, like uh, on the run. They end up, the first place they end up hiding is Sasha's old family farm. And like no one there realizes that they're the ones who had killed Sasha. They're still just a family mourning um, her death. Oh, that's brutal. It's really brutal because you don't like you don't know when they're gonna actually confront this issue until the previous episode of like Gabby's trying to meet up with basically fellow Marleans that are stationed inside. Oh, and here's another twist. Uh the person that Sasha was probably romantically involved with was a Marleyan captured soldier that the survey court caught and he he was a chef and like he was a, an army chef. And essentially, during his time with Paradise Island, where basically Sasha fell in love with his food, because she's the potato girl, she eats everything, um, where if where she fell in love with his food, that he realizes this whole, like, war and hatred and stuff was just exhausting and tiring and not what he actually wanted. All he really liked to do was cook, and that was his passion. So she, like, helped him She saved him. It's his... this Romeo and Juliet across the... Enemies to uh, enemies to lovers. They only tell you this after she's dead, though. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and after, like, uh. after he 
has a major freak out on Gabby because the thing is, the interesting thing about Gabby is Gabby is is very logical, but she is not at all emotionally smart. In fact, she is very, very dumb. She does not know how to read exp facial expressions. She does not know how to read atmosphere. Like, she is just, she's probably, like, how I imagine her, she'd be one of those people in school who would absolutely destroy you on math. But if a friend is crying, she would have no way to comfort because she's just not emotionally adept at it. And so when she was bragging about the fact that she killed Sasha to the chef because she saw the chef and she knew the chef was Marley and so she thought he was on their side, the chef, like, started to freak out on her, but, like, in a very understated, like, cold fury way, and she didn't see it. It's like, she like, didn't why see are you booing all. me? I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really tense... Like, Falco's like... Okay, Gabby, you should you should not brag yeah, about this. Yeah, you need this. to stop. Like, like, read <laughs> the room. He's got a knife. Like, <laughs> he's clearly not okay with what you just said. And at that point, Gabby's also trying to deal with the fact that, like, her whole worldview is that all the Eldians are literal devil. And so her being shown kindness by Sasha's family itself is, like, shattering her worldview. Because she doesn't even realize that it's Sasha's family, like, the whole time. So... She's learning, like, wait, I was told that these people were just inhuman. What do you mean they have, like, actual thoughts, feelings, ideals, they love people? Like, this is this is wrong, right? And so then you're confronted with that, that whole reality of, like, oh, God, they're real people. My worldview's shattered. Also, I just bragged about killing Sasha to the only person who loved Sasha. Um, and Romantically. Romantically. <laughs> but, I mean, I, we all love Sasha. Um, my heart is broken, <laughs> but... And then, so at that point, the family's also in this building at the same time. So he shows up, like, Niccolo, like, grabs grabs Gabby with a knife, being like, I'm gonna kill her. And the whole family's like, what are you doing? And then he's like, this is the, this is the girl who killed Gabby, or Sasha. And then they're like, oh, God. <laughs> and so what's really painful about the sequence is you don't know if Sasha's father is actually going to... Because um, he, he gives Sasha's father the choice, like, do you, do you want to just get revenge for Sasha or not? And at this point, he... Well, no, he even was like no Nicolo was like straight up in love like yeah he, yeah they, they, they both her. are like they both have many reasons why they could kill. yeah like you could see how much he loved her exactly but the thing with Nicolo is he basically was like let's kill her he's like you should kill her but then he's like oh but if you can't kill her I'll kill her for you like that's how intense he was about it but in a weird way almost respectful because he's like i get it if you don't like if you can't do it because killing people isn't something that's easily done but i'm a soldier so i can do it <laughs> you know sort of thing so yeah and so the the main giant emotional climax is when sasha's father has the knife and it just he makes the conscious decision like let's let's not we can't we can't do this. Like I, I'm gonna. Sasha's gone, and like me killing her is not gonna bring her back. So it's almost like the few times where you actually see this cycle of violence broken. Because, again, Gabby had witnessed Sasha killing two soldiers near her during that life scarring event. So then she ends up and ends up focusing her to kill Sasha, and then so a lot of the violence is begets new violence as the series goes on. And I think the worst part about that scene, I think, or best part for me, but worst part emotionally, is that <laughs> one of the characters was a child that um, Sasha had saved in season two and revered yeah. Sasha and was basically friends with that Gabby and Falco. And she tried to kill Gabby in that moment when, when Sasha's father chose not to. 
because she's like devastated that essentially learning that her new friend was the one who had killed um the person she admired and it was just like oh god the pain of just this this cycle which is which is why like sasha's father is such a like great person for being able to break this chain that like not a lot of people would have the will to do i mean it really shows. oh not even the fandom i i'm pretty sure like 75 percent of that fandom was ready to grab that i still am man like, i, I would have <laughs> easy this sounds um, this sounds metal i love this oh i should start watching this show yeah and we have was we got like 10 minutes but there's a whole element of now the parallels of violence is now like we haven't even talked about Aaron's dynamic in the main trio yet. Like, oh no, is he evil now? Like, what? I, I he's, he's sad. He's he's cold and dispassionate. I'm just saying he lacks he lacks empathy because he knows that it's like a human lead emotion that is no longer needed to accomplish the goal. Yeah, Ooh, excellent. I think the part that was so interesting, I think, with the last episode I had previously watched, um, Aaron's got himself kind of a following of people who would literally die for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the The scouts that have been behind him this whole time are now basically 100% behind him, even though the rest of the Eldian society might not necessarily follow him, and they're kind of afraid because he's really scary and seems kind of inhuman. Uh Armin and Mikasa are no longer on Eren's side in a lot of ways. Like, they're very afraid of what he's capable of because it's been essentially five whole years since the the end of season three. Mm-hmm. And so when they talk about Eren, they're afraid. They even consider, like, what if we just killed Eren and just gave the power to somebody else who, like, isn't so, like, cold and calculated at this point? That's intense. It's, it's actually really intense. it's really sad, yeah. is what it because it's like, especially with Armin and Mikasa because those two have been by his side since the beginning, and those are like the two people which you can't ever imagine Aaron turning against because Aaron who who fears Levi a lot um, and like respects him beyond belief in season three was even willing to fight Levi to save Armin's life against Irwin's like that's how that's how much he loves and is devoted to those two and to see him so completely cold and unattached to them is a very like it's a very sad feeling where you're just like you're kind of like and I mean Armin Armin reflects this as well where he's just kind of like I don't I don't really know him anymore like I don't I don't I don't see Aaron when I see this guy in front of me and so That's I mean this is just sounding more and more appealing to me as as both of you know and I don't know if I've expressed this much uh, in previous podcasts but I watch anime to feel <laughs> to be sad. <laughs> I don't want shows to feel fulfilled. Um, so this sounds amazing. Uh, I I personally think the writing and the route it decided to take on making the fact that history is complicated and people are complicated. And there really isn't a right or wrong, except Falco. Falco is always right, but um, there isn't really a right or wrong in regards to how you approach things because everything is so messed up. I like this type of writing because morally gray sort of stories and exploring how 
things is just things are just so iffy at times depending on the context it's like my jam i love writing about it and i love reading about it but so do you think do you think just this season is like that or do you think just looking back over the course of the entire story it's i feel like we've gotten a genre change because i remember like season one always felt like just like shonen but now it sounds more like ah we're sad so do you think the story's tone has matured as it's gone on do you think that's uh do you think that's a result of just the fact that this series you know takes time to write it sounds like it was all pretty well planned out especially when you're talking about how plot elements from season one and characters from season two are getting brought back in season four so I definitely think it's it's not my opinion is that it's not really a genre shift because it was gradual enough starting in season three, which is by the way my favorite arc because I read the manga. Um, starting in season three, that shift was already happening. That gray morality, that who's right, who's wrong, things are more complicated than it seems. The, it was already there. It was like, and it was leaning into it more and more. So the fourth season leaning completely into it doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Um, but with that being said, I do know there are a, a healthy amount of, or maybe not healthy, but like, or that's not the right word is what I mean. A non-zero, <laughs> like a, a, not, not consequential, but a noticeable number. Yes. Yes, exactly. A noticeable number of people in the fandom have actually started to become less interested in Attack on Titan because they ultimately, what they still wanted was the kaiju show, fighting monsters, seeing the animation. But I think the tone and atmosphere has been shifting as the season's gone on. Yeah, I think even just, if you look at some of the more recent episodes, one of the phrases of the fanatic scouts who now follow Eren unquestionably still use the same phrase they used in season one, which mm-hmm. is, open your hearts, Sasageo. Which, in season one, that phrase is a lot easier to stomach when it's human versus kaiju. Like, you know it's a faceless evil that is okay, but at this point, because the conflict has shifted to person versus person, I think that phrase has now been basically co-opted into a blind fanaticism that like when they 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 really emphasize like how chilling the phrase is at this point and i think that a lot of the morality they used in season one is being reused but in ways that i felt were really uncomfortable yeah (laughs) excellent well it sounds like this is a very fun show to watch i mean well let me rephrase that (laughs) It sounds like a show that makes you think. I don't know if fun is the correct word, because uh, fun generally implies happiness, and this seems to be not the case. Uh, but, so, when when the show ends, because we were talking about, uh, you know, how Wonder Egg priority, if it sticks the landing, you know, way back during the chart check, you know, if, if that sticks the landing, it'll be one of our favorite shows ever. Do you think that Attack on Titan is going to remain in the collective anime fans' memory for longer than most shows generally do, like more than three or four years. Personally, I feel like it's already created itself as like a classic. Like it's 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 always going to be up there with like Full Metal Alchemist or um, Dragon Ball Z. I think it's a show that we're going to be talking about for many years. Um, I don't know how people are going to react to the ending 
But at this point, to quote a show that had a terrible ending, uh, Game of Thrones, if this show, ha- if you're expecting a happy ending, you're not paying attention. Um, so I don't think the ending is going to be something that I'm going to per se want because I want people to live their greatest lives in this show because I've, I've spent so much time with a lot of characters I love. Yeah. But I think, like, I, like I've said before, I feel like some of these characters don't have much of a choice to do the things that they're going to do. And I think that that conflict is inevitably going to devastate me. <laughs> Excellent. Gracie, what do you think? Do you think this, uh, everyone talks about like how a show is going to be a new classic and then inevitably people forget about it after, you know, one cycle of the seasonal calendar. Do you think that Attack on Titan will be a, a classic anime? I cannot say yet because that will heavily depend on the last chapter of the manga since I am following it. Um, if it do you think that... it could screw things up so badly? Do you think it'll do a Game of Thrones? Do you think it'll it'll, I... it'll do so poorly in its ending that it'll invalidate all the previous seasons? It does run risk of it, and not because all the chapters up until that point is shabby. It's just the last chapter is going to be from Aaron's perspective, likely, and his perspective is going to change a lot of things, I think, in how we view the whole story. Because up until this point, like, you know, as Nick already said, he kind of feels more like a stranger in this last season because we haven't really been with him heard him speak his thoughts, heard him, like, what he feels about everything. And so, um, and so the last chapter likely is going to reveal, reveal all the things that we haven't been privy to know in a very brilliant way, but it will change the game a lot. So I don't know, like, you know, for all we know, maybe whatever his perspective is might make people so angry (laughs) that they turn against the series, (laughs) but... It, or it could be something brilliant. It really just hinges on the last chapter. And um, and I'm curious to see how this work uh, is going to end. Yeah. Well, I think all of us are curious to see how this is going to end. Regardless uh, of the ending, it'll be talked about. And we may come back and revisit this once the, once the series ends. Uh, but I'd love to hear what everybody else, all you listeners, think of Attack on Titan. We have comments on the Podbean things and then also on our Facebook and Discord uh, and Twitter. Uh, it, so if you enjoyed the podcast, you can you know check it out there on our social media or consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, we like money please give us yours. Uh, <laughs> it'll if, if it, when we reach a certain level we'll be able to put out more uh, I guess bizarre, strange, not fit for the weekly, you know, kind of output that we're doing. Uh, for example, the weird history lesson that we'll inevitably get to, or I'll do 45 minutes talking about anime railroads. Who knows? Uh, but we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, if you give us $5, we'll talk about Catboys. That's what that's what Nick says. <laughs> and, uh, you know what? He's not wrong. So... Thank you so very much, everybody, for listening, um, and we will see you next time. So thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much.